Hello, everybody, and this is Flight Sim Edge, the podcast that discusses everything imaginable about our favorite hobby, flight simulation. If you are new here, there is a good chance that you found us by accident or serendipity. Um, we don't do any kind of promotion. We're not promoted on any other kind of platform. We don't do social media promotions. We're not sponsored by any company or any uh, podcast uh, entity. So uh, welcome and uh, stick around, listen for a while. Hopefully it is uh, a show that you can enjoy. If you are a past listener, then welcome home. All right. Well, it is July 2nd. It is uh, just about 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in beautiful Tampa Bay, USA. And I have to add, go Bolts. We go to Montreal tonight and we are two ahead in the series. So it's exciting times here in the Bay Area without a doubt. But that is not why you are here. You are here to listen to uh, about flight simulator and I am here to talk about flight simulation and it's uh, something I really love to do. <laughs> so what do we have in store for us today? Well, um, we're coming up about the uh, podcast being a year old. Um, we had our uh, mid-season, it's the, the middle of the second season, um, and we had our uh, um, flight sim adventure, um, our second one. And you know what? There, uh, I didn't realize that you could set the date um, for, I, th I think you can go in the past and set it for any day you like. I don't know if it act actually recreates that weather pattern. I'm going to try that out, but... You know, if you guys want to uh, do that um, when you're doing the, the second flight sim adventure uh, the, of the Mysterious Flight 19, give that a try and see how that goes. I'm going to give it a try. I just haven't done it yet. I noticed that there was a date and time. And so uh, I was like, does that mean you could set that to the past? <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. Well, that would have been handy. But... Uh, um, close to a hundred people to listen to that podcast so far. And I hope that everybody, uh, really enjoyed our extravaganza episode and our flight sim adventure. We are going to have a, uh, third flight sim adventure. I'm already working on it. It's probably, uh, it's obviously not going to be this show. It's probably not going to be the next show, but I'm hoping it'll be the show after that. So, um, uh, and I hope it's something that's uh, fun and exciting. And I will make you one promise. It won't have anything to do with Florida. <laughs> so um, it's going to be a fun adventure, whatever we decide to do. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm also looking into uh, just doing the preliminaries of looking into how to set up a virtual airline. And... Uh, in some ways, it was a little bit more complex, complicated than I thought it was going to be. But uh, I've just started looking into it. I know that there are plenty of, of uh, platforms and, and programs that uh, help you do 
uh, that, and I'm trying to pick what I think is going to be uh, the the most advantageous uh, to um, our airline. I'm thinking about uh, calling our airline. Um, uh, what was I thinking about the uh, Flight Edge Airlines or Flight Edge Logistics, something like that. But um, we'll explore a little bit. The it's it's way early to uh, decide on the name, but uh, I am looking in to uh, the possibilities of that. Uh, and hopefully that would be um, something that we could set up around the beginning of the third season. So what is today's show? As, as we get at about a year uh, since I started this podcast, I thought I would do an episode that I would like to call Blast from the Past. And I have gone through and re-listened to some of those early podcasts and I have updates um, whether or not, uh, you know, if if the information is not pertinent anymore, I I discuss that and it gives some of the new blood uh, a chance to um, listen to uh, this show and I will reference other shows if it's a topic that they're interested in. And uh, so um, it's going to be a lot of fun, a little to, to hit a little bit of uh, history and nostalgia um, to the podcast. And I think it's going to be a uh, full show. And uh, we're going to get started um, right away. So uh, wheels up, find a comfortable place to relax, get a beverage of your choice. And I'll see you on the flip side. So right from the beginning of the podcast, uh, it was um, centering in on Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Uh, The simulator had just come out of beta, and um, I, uh, or it was in the last uh, stages of beta, because the first show... Um, was several months before when the podcast started to become uh, regularly recorded. Um, And I explained in that first episode, it was because um, I had recorded the podcast and nobody, uh, we had no listeners. Um, You know, it literally was, uh, um, the listener count was uh, um, one, which was me. (laughs) So, and I, you know, checked it, you know, a week after that and it was still one. And then two weeks after that, and it was still one. And I was like, well, I got to figure out a way. Nobody knows I'm out there. Nobody knows, uh, what's, you know, that this podcast even exists. So, you know, it kind of, uh, fell off the radar of, uh, things that I was doing and uh, um, working on, and um, it was, I believe, two months, and I actually opened up the uh, podcast, um, the the program that I recorded on, 
um, it is uh, is Anchor, an app uh, called Anchor, and I uh, hit the Anchor uh, icon by accident, and it opened up, and the page that it opened up was the logistics page, which is weird because it never opens up on that page um, anymore. I have to go hunting for the logistics. But I believe it said um, I had 102 listeners. And you could have knocked me down with a feather. At first, I was absolutely thrilled that I had that many listeners. And I'll tell you something. I'll be honest with you. I would have been happy with like 50. That's what I thought. I'd have a steady, you know, 50, 55 listeners. And it is uh, four times that now. Two, usually by the time my podcast is two months old, I have close to 200 listens to it, um, sometimes exceeding 200 listens. But at the time, um, I was just amazed. And then I felt horrible because it meant for two months, people were going back and seeing. So I felt horrible that there might be people, you know, that have been uh, waiting to for the next podcast and you know, one week goes by, two weeks goes by, three weeks goes by. And uh, there was no podcast. And um, I truly didn't think that there would be anybody uh, listening to it after. Because uh, for two weeks, there was nobody there. The, the analytics showed that there was nobody there. So what happened between two weeks and eight weeks, I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, well, I guess it is. It's Microsoft Flight Simulator. And so, you know, people went to podcasts and type in flight simulation in their search. And, and, you know, they came across Flight Sim Edge. I'm assuming that that's what happened. So I know people wonder why we center around Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um almost exclusively and it, it's simply it's the 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 latest simulation that's out there and it's so far beyond any other simulation that's out there um that uh i just don't uh there's not a lot of point to to covering the other sims when microsoft flight simulator is out there and I truly believe that most of the people that at least got this this uh, podcast started were people that were interested in Microsoft Flight Simulator um, because that was the big change between when I released the podcast and when people started listening to the podcast. So um, uh we do talk about flight simulation in a general sense, but we also talk about flights, Microsoft Flight Simulator, because 
um, especially when it comes to hardware. If you have hardware that comes anywhere close to running Microsoft Flight Simulator well, it's going to be fine for X-Plane 11, and it's going to be fine for uh, prepared. But let's take a look at um, X-Plane 11, because they have recently come out with their 1.55 update. Um, they've added uh, several airports, I would say close to 100, maybe exceeding that slightly, but we're, I don't think they're anywhere near 8,000 airports worldwide. Um, it's definitely... I'm, I'm just going to be honest here, and I, and I know... Liminaire Research is a great company, and and uh, I'm not trying to put them down. But when you look at the updates, when you read the update uh, documentation, it really seems like a None of that seems like it's to get new customers. The feeling that you get from it almost instantaneously is that this is a exercise and trying to keep their customer base. And you know, there there's a few graphic um, improvements, but not vast. Um, I don't think the, the natural graphic improvements come anywhere near um, the graphical enhancements that you could buy third party. But the list of airports um, that are added doesn't come anywhere near where Microsoft Flight Simulator is. And Microsoft Flight Simulator is a year old. I mean, we're it's getting close to a year old. So, and that's a year old on the release. It was in beta a good, uh, what, three or four months before that? Two months before that? I forget. But uh, it really seems like a, a, a true uh, grasp at keeping their customers. 
And um, there were people by far saying that the vast majority of X-Plane 11ers were not going to move the Microsoft Flight Simulator, at least as a vocal group, that seemed to be the case. And um, I told people on the forums that I was looking forward to Microsoft Flight Simulator. And, you know, they said very awful things to me. Instead of saying, yeah, I'm interested to see how it's going to compare or whatever, you know, I... Um, They say, you know, we don't need you around and all that kind of, I mean, just really, that, that's, I mean, it was far more, far more negative and derogatory than that. And I got to tell you that from the onset, um, the X-Plane 11 community, I did not like them. I found them to be petty, not helpful. Um, they defend the sim at all costs. If you have a problem with something within the simulation, they see it as a personal affront and will, instead of just ignore you, you know, go, oh, well, that guy's an idiot. I find the people in Microsoft Flight Simulator to be far more constructive, helpful, open-minded. This is a simulator that they want to work. And so if there is, and I'm talking about the community. So if there's an obvious problem within the simulator, it's talked about. You're not shunned or made to feel stupid or ridiculous for bringing it up. And so part of me says, I oh, yeah, I'm glad X-Plane 11 is adding all these airports, you know, in a ditch to keep their customer base because they're throwing them a bone, they're keeping them happy, and they're keeping them from switching to Microsoft Flight Simulator because they are not nice people. <laughs> Um, but of course there are many that switched and, um, they got to know that, um, you know, if, if they can tell that by updates alone, you know, if you have 20,000 people getting updates, uh, now, and you had 150,000 people getting updates in the past when X-Plane 11 was at its peak, then obviously, you know, 130,000 people are not getting updates. That, that probably means that 130,000 people are not anymore flying X-Plane 11. And for all the talk of the flight model, being easy, being more accurate in X-Plane 11 
versus Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. I, I'm going to be, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, crap. They, the technology used for simulating X-Plane for Microsoft Flight Simulator is a brand new technology. It, it still needs to be honed and worked on, but I think even as it stands now, it's it's more accurate. Um, I'm not a pilot. I don't pretend to be, but I watch a lot of true pilot videos. The way that the airplane buffs around under certain conditions and stuff like that is much more, um, to me, much more comparable to Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 than it is X-Plane 11. X-Plane 11, you know, there's characteristics. They say, well, it, it does much, the wind is, the, the wind model is, is much better. No, it's not. It's much simpler. So the pilot is, you know, especially the amateur pilot or the sim pilot is like, okay, these are the weather conditions and the plane should perform in this kind of a way. And so in Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, which is much more complicated, there's updrafts, side drafts, downdrafts, there's thermals, and all of that is going into play. They'll go, oh, uh, X-Plane 11 is much more accurate. It's much more accurate to you because it's less predictable. Because the real weather conditions are less predictable. But there are plenty of pilots that say that's there are plenty of pilots that have never flown in mountain conditions, that have never flown around volcano areas, that have never flown in desert areas. And yes, the planes perform differently based on the topography of the earth. And if they've never flown over that topography before, and it's different than the topography that they have flown over, they're going to go, oh, Microsoft Flight Simulator is not as accurate. I argue that point. I'm sorry. I don't give X-Plane 11 that pass. I know I'm familiar. I know computers, and I know coding, and I'm familiar with the different ways that the flight simulator that is coded. The flight model is coded. And maybe Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 needs to be tweaked. I'm not going to go so far as to say, yes, it's perfect and, it, and it's, it's, it's. But just the way that it's coded, I can't see how it's not more accurate than Microsoft, than, than X-Plane 11. And if you recall, everyone talking about how wonderful X-Plane 11 is and that its flight model is perfect. Remember when X-Plane 11 first came out? Everyone was saying that Prepared was far better than X-Plane 11. When a new simulator 
becomes more accurate, it leaves behind the older model. And people are used to the older model. And so, what do they say? Including people that are, quote, pilots, unquote. Oh, the older model's a little bit more accurate. This X-Plane 11 is, they got to do some tweaking. They got to do some work. Prepared 3D is a much more realistic model. Go back and look at the YouTube videos. X-Plane 11 was far more superior flight model-wise in prepared 3D. Why? Because of the way it was programmed. Prepared was easier to predict. Why? Because you had one access going through the center of the plane. X-Plane 11 had 15, 16 different surfaces emulated as, as opposed to one. And Microsoft Flight Simulator has hundreds as opposed to 15 or 16. And what are they saying? same thing they said before it's this and these are the same people that are on the forums that get all mad they're past dwellers they live in the past see I remember things it's called memory and I remember the talk when X-Plane 11 came out and, and, and compared to prepared. And I'm hearing the same talk now. So. That about uh, sums up. That's a rant, but it's, it also goes back to the, to, the, to the whole point of the show in the sense of comparing the modern simulator to, to, to what already existed. And when this podcast um, was born, it was born with the news of uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator coming out, and then it was uh, um, recorded, actually recorded on a regular basis after the release of the simulator. So it is... Um, it is an address of the past. All right. Let's look at some more things, shall we? It's going to be a pretty packed show. So one of the first things that I knew and talked about on the podcast, and uh, this is actually uh, July 3rd that I'm recording this segment. Um, I have to apologize to you guys. We have had, uh, they're doing all kinds of maintenance updates on the apartment, you know, which is good. They're putting, you know, new tile down. They regrouted the bathroom. We couldn't use the bathroom, the master bathroom for 24 hours. And my wife doesn't like to use the bathroom that the girls use. <laughs> She's a very, very picky woman. Anyway, um, so they, they, they were sawing tiles and they were hammering and, uh, they replaced the sink uh, fixtures and, and whatnot, which is all really great new upgrades. But uh, um, the uh, the cause and effect of that, though, was that 
um, it was a lot of background noise and I couldn't record. So, um, that was all going on. And, and as much as I wanted to record and I had the time to do it, I, I couldn't, there was just too much. I went to different rooms in the apartment and it just was, uh, not, not working out. So, um, I'm at my, uh, wife's doctor appointment, the usual doctor appointment on Saturday afternoon that I've talked about in the past. And yes, I'm recording this recording in the Toyota 8.6. So anyway, anywho, I got to turn the air on. Oh God, it's, it's hot in Tampa. We, we won that third game, by the way. It's uh we could sweep Montreal. That would be sweet. As much as I love Montreal, I still root for my Tampa Bay Lightning. So Anyway, I have a beverage of my choice, which is a uh, uh, Polar Pop Diet Mountain Dew. Um, it's like a big gulp, I guess, is sort of the compar comparison to me. But um, anyhow, um, one of the things that uh, I knew right off the bat was that my computer was not going to push uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator very well. Uh, in the uh, the uh, setups, you know, they had the different setups. They had the, the minimum setup. Uh, they had uh, the, I always forget what the middle one was, um, standard setup maybe. And then they had the ideal setup. And I thought evaluating the specs, I had a, a 8700K um CPU, so 8th gen CPU, and I had a 1080 Ti, which was a beast of a graphics card when when uh, um, it was purchased. And it was uh, very comparable to the 20 series because the 20 series was not a vast improvement. They started implementing um, RTX, which was their, you know, ray tracing solution that nobody was using. And... Um, so uh, a lot of people were comparing the 1080 tie to be somewhere around uh, where the uh, where the 2080 was and the 2080 tie was. It was somewhere in the middle. It was around a 20, much closer to the 2080. Um, by the way, um, so it was uh, um, sometimes it was between. It fell between uh, the performance level fell between the 27 and the 2080. And sometimes it fell between the 2080 and the uh, 2080 tie. So, um, but the the ninth gen CPUs were out uh, by the time the 2020 series was released by NVIDIA. Um, uh, the the Radeon uh, um, RX uh, series really. Uh, um, wasn't released and they were in the 5000 series of the of, of the of the GPUs and they were the top end of that was performing somewhere between uh the 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 2070 and the 2080 the top end 5000 card was somewhere in there nothing was reaching the level of what the 1080 tie was reaching. So there was no point in going, uh, taking a step down and going to a Radeon solution at that time. And, um, the ninth gen chips were still 
uh, outperforming um, the 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 Radeon um, was the three thousand uh, series released by that point in time. I'd have to look that up. I do apologize, but um, at that point in time, it still seemed like uh, logically uh, the Intel solution, uh, the Intel uh, Nvidia pairing was the the best solution at the time of the release of the simulator. And I've talked about in the past, um, go into the show notes and, and, and take a look, um, that, uh, in, in the first season, now the, uh, we're kind of strange. The seasons are kind of, I'm trying to, to make the seasons a year long, uh, uh, obviously. And so, we didn't have a mid-season um, show, really, because we started in the middle of the year. So the first season is um, July, August to uh, 2021. And now we're in 2021, obviously. And uh, so the season to that is going to be until uh, December um, uh, 2021, um, we'll probably do an end of the year recap, uh, of 2021, uh, in early January. And then, um, come late January, February, we'll start the third season. So that's, that's how I'm structuring it for right now. So if you look at season one, which is only going to have about 10 episodes, and then this season's going to have 20 episodes. So, so all of you that are scratching your head trying to figure, figure that out, that's the explanation to that. So, um, <clears throat> uh, the 10th show, which was the end of the season, uh, last year is mid season this year because we started season two at the beginning of the year. Whew. Okay. So that should make some sort of sense. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it makes some sort of sense. Um, there was a little bit of audio dropout. Um, you'll have to turn the volume up, but you can hear it fairly clearly. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was uh, a good recap, a good comparison between um, uh, X-Plane 11 and and. Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator 2020. And yeah, um, I, I stick by what I said. I, every, If you look at every generation, there's a new simulator. The big complaint is that the older simulator has the more accurate model. And I, and I uh, argue with that because by the time you're a year into the new simulator, um, Everyone's talking about how that's the more accurate model. And they're going to be saying that about Microsoft. If you look at uh, um, uh, YouTube videos that compare X-Plane 11 to Microsoft, they're usually uh, at the beginning of Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, or, or like, uh, you know, they're about six months ago. And they're all talking about how X-Plane is, is better. Um, one of the words is is smoother. Well, why would it be smoother? Think about it. Because of the hardware. The hardware had not caught up to be able to push the simulator nearly as well as it could push X-Plane 11. 
X-Plane 11, when this simulator, Microsoft, was released, was uh, three and a half, four years old. So you were already on the second uh, and even third generation hardware that could easily push that simulator. And so, yes, um, it, it was smoother than a Microsoft. That has nothing to do with the flight model. Nothing to do with the flight model. It has to do with the hardware available and the sophistication of the simulator re requiring uh, better hardware. Now we're in the second generation of hardware, 3000 series NVIDIA, uh, 6000 series, which is a vast improvement uh, to 5000. It is a huge generational gap. The 3000 isn't a huge generational gap to the 2000 series. It's a good gap. Don't get me wrong. It's a good jump, but it's not nearly comparable to 6000 uh, Radeon compared to 5000 Radeon. And in fact, 6000 Radeon, I, I still say, performs better in the sim overall than even the 3000 series NVIDIA does. Um, but if you look at the, the, the first thing we talked about was that I had to make uh, hardware improvements and uh, everybody had to make hardware improvements if they wanted to push the sim at, at, at a level that it was designed to be pushed. Um, Microsoft Flight Simulator, when it was released and f when it was uh, demonstrated, was demonstrated on 2080 Ti graphic cards with 9th gen uh, Intel CPUs. Because Ryzen hasn't risen to the to the 5000 series, the 3000 series was already performing at or about what the 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 current Nvidia was. Um, so, in other words, if you had a top end 3000 uh, uh, Ryzen chip and you paired it with a 2080 Ti, um, you were getting very good performance performance that was easily as comparable to the uh, NVIDIA um, solution because its core, its single core performance was similar to what NVIDIA's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Intel's single core performance was. But now Microsoft is recognizing the use of multi-core and we knew that was going to happen. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, at that time, um, what I was going to do was switch to a ninth gen chip. I had a uh, very good beefy motherboard. It was a uh, ASRock uh, Extreme 4. Um, was it the 390? I forget. And uh, But it was easily able to uh, take a ninth gen chip. The, the problem was with my system is I had bought a uh, case... Um, a gamer storm case that had a built-in 120 millimeter uh, liquid cooler. Now I thought it performed better than a standard 120 millimeter liquid cooler because the case had sort of, I'm going to put it in quotes, custom. It had a custom water loop in the sense that um, the 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 water loop just didn't go to uh, like a standard 120 millimeter AIO. Uh, goes from the uh, CPU cooler and it circulates through a, a fairly short 
uh, to probably two feet or so uh, into the radiator and then a tube that comes out of the radiator and goes back to the CPU, uh, two or three feet. In the GamerStorm case that I had, it went to a, uh, like a reservoir. And in that reservoir um, that was lit up, it had a, a flow indicator, this little wheel that would spin. And that was about four feet to get to that reservoir. And then um, the tube going back to the radiator um, uh the tube that went back to, I think it, the tube went back to the CPU, sorry. And then it, from the CPU, it went back to the radiator. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is the water traveled almost uh, two and a half times longer distance. And then it sat into that rate, it sat in that uh, um, reservoir uh, that spun the uh, flow indicator. And then it went back up. So it had a lot more time, the water had a lot more time to cool off. And it cooled off into that reservoir. I've touched that reservoir with my hand and it was uh, cool. You could touch the radiator, the radiator was warm, okay? And from the radiator down to the reservoir, the water that sat in that reservoir was significantly cooler than the water that would have just gone right into the CPU uh, header um, if it went straight from the radiator to there, um, which it didn't. So um, it, because it was sort of like a customized water uh, solution, it wasn't customized in the sense that it had, you know, glass tubes, and I'm not talking like a reservoir that was like a big, you know, canister, you know, like you see in the, 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 the super sophisticated customized water loops. It was all done with tubing, but the water traveled a much longer distance. And so that 120 millimeter cooler, um, performed much better than a standard 120 millimeter cooler. Did it perform as well as a 240 AIO? I don't know. There were no comparisons that were made. I couldn't find any comparisons that would make. And that case was very short-lived. I think the reason why um, is because maybe they mine didn't leak. Okay, mine worked perfectly. But it was very sophisticated. It looked very complex uh, to manufacture and build. Uh, GamerStorm is a branch of Cooler Master. Um, it's their high performance branch of Cooler Master products. And, um, you know, GamerStorm still exists, but that case does not exist. And so the long and the short of it was I wasn't sure that an i7 9th gen was going to be cooled um, well enough uh to, to, to keep the thermals down um, with my uh, solution. And because it was customized, you couldn't pop that out and pop in a 240 uh, AIO because of all of the custom tubing and, and stuff like that. It would have been, um, I'm not saying that it was impossible to do. 
I didn't have uh, the skill level to to be able to do that. I'm just being honest. Um, it was actually the first system that I have ever had for myself that was a AIO. And um, it, the case was $130. You heard that correctly. It was $130 and it had a built-in custom 120 millimeter AIO that was customized that performed better than a standard 120 millimeter AIO. Um, and it was a, a kick butt case. The LED lighting on it, it looked amazing. Um, it was a full metal front. They weren't going high airflow uh, mesh uh, cases um, really weren't being highlighted at that time. But it had uh, side vents on either side of the metal plate. And um, I often flew my simulator with the glass uh, side off. I just took the glass panel off. It was just exposed to air. And even then it looked amazing. So I often kept the glass off for days at a time, weeks at a time, to be honest with you. And the temps were, were pretty good. Um, but I wasn't sure that it would do an I-7, um, which a 9,700, uh, CPU. So I was looking at now, um, also with the ninth gen, the I-5, which was the, uh, 9,600 chip, I believe was a very, very good chip. You lost, I think, two cores and two threads compared to the 8700. Um, I think it was six core, I think. Um, and the 8700 was eight core, I think. I'll have to look it up, I'm sorry guys. But uh, um, the i5 was performing better according to uh, reviews, than the 8700. It was at the 8700 or above, often above. More often than not, you were getting higher frames on the um, i5 than the, I, the i5 in the ninth gen, than the i7 in the eighth gen. So um, I was going to, I was leaning towards uh, taking a drink. Um, I was leaning towards the i5 because I also the i5 was a very cool running chip. Its thermals were better. Its TB, TB, uh, its power draw. What is that? TBW, TBT, whatever. Um, its power draw was less than the 8700 and its temps were cooler than the 8700, far cooler than the 9700. The 9700 was a hot chip, and I was really worried that that, although it had the extended water loop, I still wasn't sure that the 120 millimeter AIO was gonna be enough uh, of a cooling solution to keep the uh, 9700 in check. So I was going to get the i5 9600 CPU, and uh, which the motherboard would have would have pushed great. It would have pushed that chip better than the 8700.
excuse me, because the thermals were so much better uh, on that ship. And the TDP was so much better. That's it. TDP was so much better uh, than the 8700. So um, the the motherboard was not was not an issue at all. It was going to do even better with that chip than it did the 8700 chip. It had uh, um, uh, 12 uh, MOSFETs that were heavy duty um, MOSFETs, and uh, it was a great motherboard uh, as far as Intel was concerned. Um, and then I was going to pair that because we were just seeing the stat. Now, when they first came out, the stats for the 30, uh, 3070, and uh, that this was before the mining craze. This was before the CPU shortages. It was before the tariffs, um, the environment that we're all living in now, in other words. It was before all of those realities took place. And so the MSRP for the 3070 was going to be somewhere between 499 and 599. And, uh, for $600. And I could sell a 1080 tie at that time. It was before the, the, I sold my, uh, um, uh, anyway, I forget what it was. But uh, the, the, the 1080 tie could be sold at that time for about $300. So I could have sold my 1080 tie for $300 and for $150 more, essentially, got a 3070. The 3070 wasn't released. This was all speculatory. That is what the MSRP was projected to be. And they were saying it was going to perform 100% better than a 2080. And the 1080 tie was performing at or around what a 2080 was. So I was going to have a CPU that was performing better than my CPU. And I was going to have a video card that was performing twice as good as the video card that I had. And all of that was going to be, uh, if I sold my CPU, um, uh, I could sell that CPU for that, that time about $200 because it wasn't a super hot chip, but it did have more cores, uh, than the, uh, i5 had. So I could have got about $200 for that chip. The i5 was selling about 300, 350, um, at that time. So basically for $300, I could upgrade my PC, uh, which I called Vader 2, to a level that would be able to push uh, the Microsoft Flight Simulator beyond the ideal specs. And uh, as I said before, I was somewhere between the standard and the ideal on my current setup. This was going to be beyond the ideal setup. So um, it was going to perform, you know, very well at what we knew at the time um, uh, in, in an NVIDIA Intel environment. And uh, it was before the Ryzen 5s and the, the, the Radeon 6000 series came out. But even if those came out, for $300, I wasn't going to switch to an AMD platform. 
I would have uh, done that, and I think it would have pushed the simulator at a level that would have been fairly decent, um, as if all things were running well on the uh, within the simulator itself. Now I contend that uh, the simulator runs better on an AMD platform with a Radeon card uh, than it does with even the higher-end Intel uh, cards and the higher-end Intel, the higher-end NVIDIA cards with the higher Intel, uh, higher-level Intel C, uh, CPUs. Um, there's a thermal issue that's not being talked about that's going on with the VRAM. The Intel chips uh, run very hot. The 10 series runs very hot. And so um, the uh, um, now that we've seen what AMD can do, and no one was expecting the generational gap that the 6,000 uh, Radeon cards um, were going to have. They weren't even speculated at that level. When we, when we started seeing the specs for the Radeon 6,000 cards, everyone was like, wow, this is amazing, and this is going to compare to the 3070, uh, to the 30 series. What did they say was not comparable? Why were people still getting the 30 cards? Because of ray tracing, which we have proven in the past on this show is a lot of BS. Ray tracing can be um, accounted for by a software solution more efficiently than the hardware solution that is on those NVIDIA cards. As a matter of fact, Radeon's uh, um, FF F FRX or FFX, I forget what it's called. Um, their software solution that they just came out with to address ray tracing and DLSS, th the NVIDIA cards, when they adopt that open architecture, that's the word, um, they run better than the hardware solution that is built into the card. So AMD said, look, I'm, we're going to open the architecture. They're an amazing company. They're an amazing company. They didn't have to do that, but they did. And so if you have an NVIDIA card and you adopt the software solution that AMD has put out there, your NVIDIA card is going to run better than the hardware that's built into the card. That's the power of a software solution. And that goes all the way back to the Commodore Amiga. That's what we talked about in a previous podcast, that since 1991, ray tracing was addressed by uh, the, uh, the Commodore Amiga. Um, it was able to run software that could address ray tracing that no other... Uh, computer could run at the time unless it was a boutique built computer specifically for, you know, the basically the film and entertainment industry. So, um,
So for the first three or four podcasts or so, um, uh, about halfway through the first season, which is based on 10 episodes, um, that was what I was working towards. And so I was looking at a lot of reviews of the, of the out, upcoming 3070. And, um, the 3070 was released right before my computer, uh, got zapped. And here we are again, um, Hurricane, uh, Edna. Is that her name? Is uh, it's got to go through the mountains of Cuba first? That always um, affects the storm one way or the other. Um, but its projected models, uh, most of the most of the projected models have Edna going right up the ass in Tampa Bay. So we're all. Very excited about the lightning, but we're all very, uh, uh, tense about where the storm is, is going to go. So far, it's a category one. Tampa usually can take category one's, uh, storms in their stride. But, uh, um, you know, if it gets up to a cat two, that's, that's, uh, uh, a little bit of a tighter situation because, um, as I said before, Tampa's like a peninsula within a peninsula. We have water on, three sides. We have the bay and the gulf um, surrounding uh, Tampa. And so flooding solu- flooding uh, situations occur and um, uh, low-lying areas uh, around the Tampa Bay area, um, little cities like uh, uh, Apollo Beach, Riverview, where I live, uh, Lakeland, um, can be very affected by a, by a Cat 2 storm. A Cat 1 storm um, I should say, if if it's moving fast, Tampa Bay can usually shrug it off pretty good um, because of our hurricane building codes and, and stuff of that nature. But uh, if the storm lingers and becomes just a water dump, that can affect us bad uh, too. Uh, actually, a tropical storm that sits over Tampa and just dumps water is much more dangerous than a Category 1 hurricane that goes by us quickly. So, um, you can't just go by the ratings of the storm. It's, it's how much, uh, uh, exposure we have to that storm over a, a, a length of time. So, um, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, waiting for, we'll have a better idea by Monday, uh, how the storm is likely, uh, to, to affect us. And that's, that's because, um, when the hurricane goes through uh, um, Cuba, there's high-lying parts of Cuba, and it's going through. From what I understand, it's going through the high-lying parts of Cuba, where you know more mountainous type of terrain. Um, um, maybe we could work this into to uh, flight some adventure. I don't know. Got to I got to see. I'd have to I'd have to pull that all together pretty quickly, but. Uh, um, Oh, no, we're not supposed to do anything out of Florida. That's right. We can do it out of Cuba. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I would love, on my wish list for planes to come out, I would love to have a Hurricane Hunter. Just because I live in Florida, I admire those guys greatly. And it because we have real weather uh, scenarios and within Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, 
I would love to be able to fly a hurricane hunter in, in, into the wall in the eye of a, of, of an active hurricane while it's there at real time. That would be really amazing. Um, I, I totally am digressing here. So that's, that's where the, the shows were addressed. And the 3070s had issues right off the bat. When the 3070s were released, lo and behold, they were not 100% better than the 2080 that we were told, uh, that were leaked or, or I don't know if it was officially told, but the perception was it was going to be 100% better than a 2080. As it turned out, it was going to be between somewhere between 40 and 50% better than a 2080. Um, I was still going to go with that solution um, for $300. That still was going to have a, have an, a having a system be, uh, because the CPU was better, uh, that would have been probably about 60% better. Vader 2 would have been about 60% more efficient within Flight Simulator uh, 2020 um, after the upgrade. And 60% better at $300 was still uh, uh, a good price. I was, I'm not going to say that I wasn't disappointed that it was a hundred percent better, but, uh, still at 60% better, um, at for $300, that, that, that seemed like a, a, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good buy. Um, but then there were issues with the 3070s. Um, there were these, I forget the names of them, but they're, they're on the back of the card, up oh, here we are with rain. Um, at the back of the card, there were these. Uh, we'll just call them circuits. That's that's not the name of them. But uh, um, the uh, I'm gonna um, end this segment and then listen back to it and make sure that the rain is not creating an audio solution that's unacceptable. But. Uh, um, I stopped the recording and restarted it so that uh, if I have to erase this segment, I can do this segment over again. Um, there were circuits in the back that the third-party cards, um, if you got a Founders Edition, you were fine. Um, if you got a third-party card, then you had to be careful and look at the back plate and see if it had the proper circuits. And the proper circuits... Um, there were six circuits, and you had to have two of those six, at least two of those six, be the uh, the four the four mini circuit array. There were four tiny circuits that were gold, that were in a uh, box formation. Four four of them, you know, two side by side, two side by side. And if you had uh, if two of the six circuits had that configuration, you were fine. So yeah, I'm I'm back home. That was just not going to work. It sounded like I was I was in a hurricane already, didn't it, guys? But that's just a typical Tampa Bay uh, thunderstorm. We get those almost daily. Um, they're a little bit earlier today than they usually are. They usually around uh, two thirty, three o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Daylight Time, and and that was about uh, eh, about. Uh, Getting close to one one p.m. ish. Um, I mean, uh, um, three p.m. Yeah, so it was it was about perfect actually. 
So, and anyway, I'm back at the apartment. The rain stopped. My wife's appointment was done, and we went out for sushi, and we're here. So what we were last talking about was uh, those little circuit things. And um, many of the um, third-party card companies were just putting six of the black circuits on. And um, if that was the case, it got overwhelmed by the power draw. And you were seeing blue screens, you were seeing bars, you were seeing squiggly lines, uh, all kinds of stuff. Unless you had a card that had at least two of those uh, circuits, we'll just call them that, um, be in the, 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 the smaller uh, um, uh, four chip array. And uh, like I said um, before, the founders cards all had that. So if you had a founder's card, you were fine. Um, some of the third parties went the extra mile and they had three, four, uh, five or six where they were all, there were some cards, uh, I think it was the uh, Tough series that all six were the array. Um, so they were built even to, to, to handle a power draw even better than the original founder's cards. But there were many that it, that there was either one or none of uh, the four array. And those cards were having um, issues. And uh, uh, um, if you go back in the show notes and, and read, um, we actually uh, gave a warning uh, to that um, on our show. We've tried to keep up with the twists and turns. And I've tried to warn you guys... Uh, as quickly as possible. Sometimes we had a uh, uh, like an emergency uh, bonus content. If I, I found out something and I was afraid you guys were going to run out and buy something that would have been detrimental to your system, be it an uh, Intel NVIDIA system or an AMD uh, Ryzen um, system. Um, but uh, so, yeah, um, that the, the 3070s out the gate, uh, we're having issues. Now, the one issue they don't seem to have is the VRAM issue. And uh, the VRAM issue was uh, because um, the 3080, the 3080 tie, the 3090, and the 3090 tie, is there a 3090 tie, um, have a uh, um, proprietary memory um, with a company, I think it's called Micron, that makes DD, DDR6X um, the and those uh, that memory configuration is not um, recognized by the governing body of uh, RAM uh, and video RAM. Um, it is a proprietary solution um, and it runs hot and it runs hot under certain, Conditions. It runs hot when it's doing a long gaming session. So that would be like a long flight on Flight Simulator. A graphic intense uh, situation, which of course Microsoft Flight Simulator has top level graphics. And um, weather simulation. So if you have it on live weather and it's simulating actual weather simulation that is happening in real life, 
that is also a vulnerability of the G the VRAM GD GDR six X. Um, the 6,000 Radeon cards and the cards below the 3080 on NVIDIA use standard, keyword there, G, GDR6. And that's fine. That is not experiencing the problems with these various scenarios. So if you want to get a higher level card than a 3070 because you want to push your SIM to the highest level possible, don't be looking for an NVIDIA box. Be looking for a Radeon box because you're going to have thermal issues. They're still happening to this day. I checked 48 hours ago and nobody, no tech tuber or nothing is, is addressing it other than it doesn't seem to have the issue if it's water cooled. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to go buy a 3080 tie that's water cooled, uh, have fun. And uh, you should be fine. But uh, um, anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's the name of that tune. So um, uh, we talked about that, and, and that all happened pretty much in the first season. Well, the, the issue of the, uh, the GDDR6X on the uh, 3080s, cards and up was was not uh was not first season that was that was this season so um let's see it was uh season one episode eight um that we first uh started discussing the AMD Xbox, what I call the AMD X. You know, it's the acronyms that kill me. It, they really, really do. The AMD Xbox hypothesis. And um, it was uh, talked about on that episode um, and can the hypothesis was that, and it was still a little bit speculatory, that if um, Microsoft Flight Simulator came out with an Xbox uh, version, that that version was going to recognize multi-core CPUs. And the reason why Intel had performed better in flight simulation than AMD or Ryzen was because even X-Plane 11 um, and even the initial, uh, we'll just say Xbox 11 and Microsoft Flight Simulator was sort of in this sort of gray area. It was based on single core high clock. In other words, it didn't matter if you had uh, six cores or eight cores. It was the first core and how high of a clock speed you could get that first core. That is what determined if your flight simulator was going to give you um, the higher frame rates.
um, outside of your video card performance. And if the Xbox was going to have a flight simulator, Microsoft Flight Simulator, that was not going to be the reality. Why? Because it doesn't have a very high uh, clock speed on a single core. If you were going to make the Xbox run Microsoft Flight Simulator, the Xbox, which was AMD, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X are both AMD and Radeon uh, graphic solutions, okay? Um, but we're talking about the compute unit or the CPU unit. It doesn't have a high clock speed on a single core. If you're going to make Microsoft Flight Simulator run on an Xbox Series X, you have to utilize the hardware architecture um, that, it's, that it's constructed of. And what makes the Xbox Series X go is its multi-core CPU compute unit. And you'd have to take advantage of those multi-cores. If you were just going to run it on one core at a high clock speed, the Xbox Series X would run it like a dog. There was no way it was going to be able to run that simulator. And um, to take advantage and make the Xbox Series X run uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. And this is probably, we, we asked this question before, why hasn't uh, Flight Simulators come out uh, for consoles before? And a lot of uh, um, uh, sim tubers and a lot of uh, YouTuber content, game, uh, gaming YouTubers um, asked that question. And I think we just answered it in this little review. It's because they couldn't get the simulator. They'd have to restructure the simulator to run on multi-core versus single core. And that was not an adequate software solution because it would mean that you'd have to have a completely different construction of the gaming engine than its original uh, gaming engine, which was single core high clock count. So for the Microsoft Flight Simulator to run well, and this is the AMD Xbox hypothesis, Xbox Series X hypothesis, I should say, it would have to utilize its strengths, which is multi-core. And if it utilized multi-core, it would be utilizing AMD multi-core. And if that was going to run on an Xbox Series X, it was going to run AMD multi-core or multi-core, but it, it would have the advantage of the AMD multi-core on two fronts. One, the AMD multi-core solution runs better than the Intel multi-core solution. That's why it's much better for content creators. It's much better for... Um, uh, different work environments because Ryzen runs multi-cores better than Intel runs multi-cores. That's a given. That's been a given for the last four years. So 
if they were going to tailor the um, simulator, if Microsoft was and and you know the its its various partners were going to tailor the simulator to run on a multi-core platform, the and and to run well on an Xbox Series X multi-core platform it was going to run well on a multi-core AMD platform in your PC. They weren't going to um, do it for one and not do it for the other. The programming's there. Why would they not carry that over to the PC? And in fact, they already have. Um, the simulator runs flawlessly. I, like I said, I have not had one single issue within the program since I've gone AMD. Shortly uh, after that, um, we did a bonus between eight and nine. So eight was the first time we discussed the uh, AMD Xbox Series X hypothesis. And then we did a bonus between eight and nine. And that bonus was, uh, and this is still season one, mind you, um, was that Honeycomb announced, the company that makes the Honeycomb yoke announced that they were working on a honeycomb yoke that was Xbox Series X compatible. And our conclusion was um, expressed in that uh, bonus content was that if Xbox, uh, blah, if honeycomb was designing a yoke, if they were going to change, you know, the tooling and do the research and developing and come out with marketing and storefront space and all of that stuff. Um, they had to know that there was going to be a uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator version that was going to run on the Xbox Series X. Because if there wasn't, there was no reason to have a honeycomb yoke for the Xbox Series X. None whatsoever. And we already hypothesized, even before that program, that honeycomb had to have some sort of relationship with Microsoft. Because their yoke was recognized out of the box. And at the time that Microsoft Flight Simulator was released, there weren't that many honeycomb yokes out there. The yoke had only been produced for about six months or so, give or take. And um, they sold out very quickly. They were created in more or less small batches. They were You couldn't find them in stores. You couldn't find them in, uh, on Amazon. They were being scalped for uh, double and triple price on eBay. And um, so why was that 
yoke recognized when there were when there were various other yokes that there were like and the example we used was the ch products and the ch products eclipse but more the ch products yoke which was in probably the thousands or tens of thousands that were already out there it's still being produced it wasn't now i could understand if the yoke wasn't being produced anymore you know yeah there were thousands of them out there but the company's not making the yokes anymore that's not the case ch products is still manufacturing both the ch products eclipse yoke which is the more higher sophisticated one um and the ch products yoke which is the gray the gray one and um and, and more simple and not not nearly as many uh buttons and 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 switch arrays that the ch products uh eclipse has so why wouldn't that yoke be recognized by microsoft out of the box and the honeycomb yoke was when it had many few much more fewer yokes out in the marketplace at that time the yoke had only been uh, six months old it was anticipated almost um, six months in advance. Um, I forget how much in advance. It was several months, six months, maybe even close to a year. People were talking about the honeycomb yoke. It was, you could see photographs of it. You could see various specs of it. There, there, there were rumor mills talking about what it could do and, and, uh, and the like. And uh, X-Plane 11, uh, X-Plane 11ers were uh, waiting for this yoke um, with great anticipation long before we had any kind of idea that Microsoft was going to release a flight simulator. And then um, the yoke comes out. It, it has great fanfare. Uh, X-Plane 11. Uh, recognizes it right out of the box, right from from day one. And uh, everybody gives the yoke uh, very, very high reviews. And uh, but there weren't a lot of them out there. They were they were bought as soon as they were put on the market. Many of them were bought pre-order, I believe. And then we had to wait another three or four months to start seeing the yokes back out on the market. That's how far behind they were. And um, yet it was recognized by Microsoft Flight Simulator, even though there were very much, much fewer yokes than like a CH product. And there were other yokes um, uh, that were the that were the same that were the same way. There, there's very expensive yokes. I'm talking like two, three thousand dollar yokes that are not recognized by Microsoft Flight Simulator. They've been produced for three or four years. There's thousands of them out there. They're very high end, they're very expensive, and yet Microsoft Flight Simulator does not recognize them out of the box. And they recognize this little upstart company called Honeycomb right from the get-go. That seemed odd to me from a purely business standpoint. Now, from a simulation standpoint, one could say, well, these are really great yokes. They're at a great price. Their 
people really want these yokes and so they should definitely be recognized by Microsoft Flight Simulator. And that is definitely true. That is absolutely, totally true. But to have that one recognized and not have like a, a company like CH Products, which has been producing yokes, 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 <laughs> which have, pro have been producing yokes for many years that are compatible with several different flight simulators throughout the years, including X-Plane 11. And to have that not be recognized and, and those yokes run at, uh, in my opinion, um, an efficiency that is equal or greater than the Logitech yoke, which of course was recognized by Microsoft Flight Simulator out of the box from day one. And we also speculated that um, if it was an issue of the quality of yoke, why was Logitech included there? It, 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 it's about the same level of uh, performance as the CH Products yoke is. Um, well, because Logitech has had a long-standing relationship with Microsoft going back to its mouse, trackballs, keyboards, um, webcams, you name it. And so they weren't gonna they weren't gonna shake that apple cart up. So they kind of maybe even begrudgingly, I said, um, we're gonna recognize that yoke out of the box because of uh, the longstanding relationship that Logitech, which ended up buying SciTech, um, had with Microsoft. And so that yoke was recognized out of the box. The honeycomb yoke was recognized out of the box. But there were various other yokes, some that are very high quality, much higher quality than CH Products and Honey, uh, CH Products and and Logitech, and those weren't recognized out of the box. Um, that are currently being produced that are that are very high end, multi thousand dollar yokes. So the fact that uh, Honeycomb was recognized out of the box seemed odd to me until that bonus, until the information came out, which I did a bonus uh, content on. Um, and that's between episode eight and episode nine in season one. That they announced that they were going to make a yoke that was compatible with Xbox Series X. Then it all made a lot of sense. And it was obvious that there was some sort of relationship going on between the two between the two companies. But the big takeaway was that if Honeycomb had a relationship with Microsoft and they were going to produce a yoke that was Xbox Series X compatible, that most assuredly meant. And remember, when I made that announcement, when we came to that conclusion on, on this podcast, there was a lot of speculation that there was not going to be a Microsoft Flight Simulator for Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, or Xbox One, or any Xbox. Consoles weren't able 
to push a simulator in the past. And as much as there was speculation that there might be an Xbox Series X compatible uh, um, version of Microsoft Flight Simulator, it um, in the beginning when it was when the mic when the simulator was first released, six months into the game. Um, I say the game in a general sense, not six months, not saying that Microsoft Flight Simulator is a game. Um, it looked like that was not going to be the case. There were no further announcements about it. There were there was no talk about it that you, you weren't seeing uh, speculation on uh, any YouTubers uh, or flight uh, or, or sim tubers anymore. Um, it, it looked like it was a dead issue. And that it, in fact, was not going to have the, we were having update after update after update, new content after new content after new content. And it was sort of like, I think this is, I think they've gone beyond the point where they can do this, is, is frankly what I, what I think that the, the consensus was, not with everybody, but with a lot of people. And, um, we were saying that, um, no, there's going to be a version for the Xbox Series X. And um, because Honeycomb is making an Xbox Series X compatible yoke, and there would be no reason for Honeycomb to make an Xbox Series X compatible yoke. It's not like there's five or six other flight simulators out there. So there would be no reason for Honeycomb to make an Xbox Series X compatible yoke unless they knew because of their relationship with Microsoft, which is why the, X, the Honeycomb yoke was recognized out of the box from the first day the simulator was released, that there was going to be, in fact, a Microsoft flight simulator version on the Xbox Series X. And if Microsoft was gonna release an Xbox version, it wasn't going to be a different simulation experience. There were some that would say, oh yeah, but that's gonna be like a video game. And so if you want the simulator, you gotta get the computer version. If you want the video game version, you get the Xbox Series. I never believed that. There was either going to be an Xbox Series X version of Microsoft Flight Simulator, and it was gonna be a full fledged simulator or there wasn't going to be anything. It wasn't going to be a different kind of experience with the same logo and the same uh, uh, title. You know, it, it, that was not, that was not going to happen. It wasn't, it wasn't going to go, go that way. And, uh, <clears throat> So we knew that there was going to be an Xbox Series X version of Microsoft Flight Simulator. We knew Xbox Series X was powered by um, uh, AMD uh, Ryzen uh, CPU and an AMD Radeon video graphic solution. And that if that was the case, an AMD Ryzen Radeon in your PC was going to have an advantage because 
that simulator was going to be tweaked and honed to perform well on the Xbox Series X, and that was going to translate in the simulator being tweaked and honed and working well with the AMD Radeon solution within the PC. And I think that's why even today, if you go to the forums, um, you're going to see that some of the Intel PCs um, are struggling with the simulator running smoothly. We're not just talking frame rates here. Running smoothly um, within those PCs. And you're not seeing that with AMD uh, Radeon. Um, PCs. Why? Because they got to get that to run well. Because console gamers are a different breed. And you saw what happened when, when a game comes out and it doesn't run well on the console. When, when, when the game hangs and, 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 you know, um, And there's, and there's crashes. People get very upset. Console gamers get very, very upset. That is just not acceptable. PC guys will put up with that to a certain degree. They'll, they'll sit there and, you know, they'll make sure that uh, all their background running programs are closed and, and all of that kind of stuff, and they'll they'll tweak uh, this video setting and on the video card and this uh, video game setting within Windows. You know, we've been doing that for decades. But console gamers, it's just supposed to work. Console gamers are not interested in in tweaking anything to make anything work. You put the disc in the little slot, or you download the game to your, uh, to your box, you click it on, and it goes. And it goes at its best level of performance. Or they want their money back. And Microsoft, if it was going to release Microsoft Flight Simulator for the Xbox, it's going to run smooth. There's not going to be crashes. There's not going to be hangs. And you're not seeing that on AMD Radeon PCs because you're not going to see that on the Xbox Series X. There's already a connection between those two things before it even is released for Xbox Series X, which is going to be uh, late July. Now we advance to episode two um, of season two. Um, so we the the on season one to recap season one the first four or five episodes was uh, talking about the release uh, of uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, a lot of bugs and crashes happening um, within. Uh, the uh, within the simulator, most of those simulators running on Intel uh, and NVIDIA uh, machines, and um, it was horrible. Uh, the simulator was, I said it was a broken sim. 
and it was. It just was not running to any kind of reliability. Um, <clears throat> even back then in the forums, I was seeing that AMD-based machines were having less issues. I'm not going to say it ran perfect, but they were having less issues. And the other thing that we speculated, which I sort of forgot, was that um, because the Xbox Series X ran on an 8-core CPU, with 8-core uh, 16-thread CPU compute unit, that that's, if you had to pick a new um, CPU, you should try to pick an 8-core CPU. Uh, the, um, tech tubers, game tubers, they were all talking about how the 5600X um, by Ryzen was the CPU to buy. The, the 5800X was the bastard stepchild is what I called it. They were saying that the 5900 was the more advanced chip. And yes, it was uh, uh, more expensive, but, but that price for performance, that's the chip you should buy if you want the high end. If you want a good gaming CPU, you should skip the 5800X and get the 5600X. And I said right from the beginning that, um, and uh, tech from um, Tech Deals uh, agreed with me, not from a, a flight simulator standpoint, but just from a general standpoint, that, um, and he compared it to the Xbox Series X and, and the PlayStation 5. And his speculation was, look, there's going to be a lot of games that are multi-platform and they're going to be coming out with the cons for the consoles. And the consoles, both of the consoles, have 8-core CPUs, 8-core 16-thread CPUs. And why would you buy a CPU that's going to have less power than the standard gaming consoles that are out there that are going to be pushing a lot of the games? And I honed it down, I narrowed it down to if... Microsoft Flight Simulator is going to come out on the Xbox Series X. The Xbox Series X is an 8-core, 16-thread CPU. And the simulator is going to do best on that technology. You should have, if at all possible, a 5800X CPU so that you have 8 cores and 16 threads. The 5900 is all well and good, but what else did we speculate? We speculated that Businesses don't go extra if they don't have to. If it's going to run smooth on an 8-core, 16-thread CPU, they're not going to spend a lot of time trying to tweak the simulator to run on more cores and more threads than that. So get an 8-core, 16-thread CPU because that's going to be the best ratio. And if tech from tech deals is saying, look, games are going to push on consoles, and that's going to translate into CPUs. Well, then Xbox Series X Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 is going to have the same kind of relationship. And uh, we correlated that uh, speculation into a more narrowed speculation regarding Xbox Series X specifically and Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 specifically.
So, um, uh, Microsoft, uh, flight simulator 2020 was running very poorly. Now you got to remember when the game came out on, um, demos and they were running on 2080 ties and they were running on uh, whatever Intel chip, uh, not, uh, the ninth series. I think they're running on 9900K uh, CPU chips. And they're like, well, you know, that's the idea of speculation. Why, why isn't it running smooth on that hardware? That was the first generation hardware that was out when the game came out and when they when they were demoing it wasn't the whole it wasn't the whole simulator there were you could go to different cities i think uh san francisco uh, no um it was seattle was the was one of the main cities that you could fly around in there were a few others i think maybe um Was it, was it London? So there was like London, New York, and Seattle. Those, those are like the three main major metropolitan cities. And, um, the simulator wasn't a whole simulator. It was, it was a demo and you could sit down and fly in Seattle. I think it was just exclusively Seattle when it was first released. I'm not sorry, not first really when it was first, uh, demoed at uh you know e3 and other different video game uh electronic uh um conventions and so yeah the the limited demo release was running smooth on a 2080 tie and a 9900k but then the whole simulator came out And it taxed that hardware hard. Just like X-Plane 11 taxed whatever was the current hardware out at the time. It was the uh, 9 series. And that's why I always try to build a system that's the next generation up, which is why it, it uh, when X Plane Eleven came out, it was uh, it was the seven the Intel wise it was the seven series uh, CPUs, and it was uh, um, Nvidia had the uh, nine hundred series cards, and so I got an eighth gen CPU and a 10 series, 1080 tie to be specific, GPU to run X-Plane 11. And it ran it great, and it ran it great for four years. The current generation hardware, now will the next generation hardware run it even better? Yes. But it's going to run fine on the generation hardware that's out now. Because that's more or less what it was designed to do. 
they always overtax the, the flight simulators always overtax the hardware that's currently available when the simulator is released. And that's why the simulator, when you're looking at the specs, whether it's X-Plane 11, whether it's prepared, whether it's uh, Flight Simulator 10, they always have the highest end hardware that's currently available in their ideal specs. It's recommended that's in the middle. That's right, not standard. It's recommended. Recommended is like middle of the road, and then ideal is the highest end hardware. That's the current generation. They can't tell you about what the future generation hardware is. They might know about it, but they can't tell you, oh, you should get, you know, when this card comes out, you should get this one. Doesn't work that way. And so I think they always knew that this was a SIM that was going to run better on AMD Radeon. That hardware was not available when uh, the simulation was demoed and when the simulation was released. And so that's why when a simulation comes out, I don't build a computer with the current technology that's available. And all the uh, um, sim tubers went out and got 2080 and 2080 tie cards and 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 uh, 9900K CPUs, and I was like, "That's that's a mistake." You keep the hardware you got, you run the sim the best that you can, and then when the new hardware, both CPU and GPU, comes out, you buy that generation, so that you have the best hardware to run the simulator for the longest period that you can. And then if you want to upgrade when the new upgrades come out after that, you can. But if you don't, your PC is still going to run the simulator just fine. You don't run out and build a computer with the current hardware when the sim is released. And that's what all the sim tubers did. And I'm telling you, they're lamenting it now. Absolutely, they are lamenting it now. And a lot of them have bumped up. They didn't tell you they bumped up, but they did. If you look at the specs, you'll see a lot of them with 30 cards and 6,000 Radeon cards series. They told you, okay, well, I'm going to redo my system. I'm going to get a 2080 this and a 9900K this. When the SIM came out, they, 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 that's what they were all doing. And they realized quickly that hardware did not push it. If that hardware could run it fine, Q8 Pilot, he ran out and got a 2080 tie. He'd still be running it on a 2080 tie. And, and you can go up and down the line. I'm not going to name all the SIM tubers that, that did that. But most of them went out and rebuilt their systems with, uh, they, they went to, to the actual uh, flight 
the 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 guys that build computer systems for flight simulators. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and they've bumped up hardware. They just didn't make a big deal about it because maybe they felt embarrassed that that they did what they did. And in the current gaming uh, and the current market, they were able to upgrade. If they could get their hands on the new stuff, they could sell the old stuff at great prices. And so it wasn't a huge uh, financial loss for them. But uh, um, a lot of them are sponsored. And, and so, you know, they, they just got newer systems from their sponsors. But uh, um, yeah, you never build the computer system on current hardware when the sim comes out. You never do that. And I learned that the hard way a long time ago. <laughs> so um, I think our hypothesis has proven to be right on several different levels. And there's still more to be announced, and I'll do that at the tail end of the show. I just got an update from Hardware Unboxed that was uh, pretty significant. Now, in Episode 2, Season 2, that's way back in January, we talked about, and I took a lot of heat on the forums for this, because everyone was saying, look, this is going to be something that's going to end in a couple of months. And uh, we talked about on this podcast that if you were going to buy hardware for Microsoft Flight Simulator, do it now. Because you don't want to wait a year and a half to be able to build your system to run Microsoft Flight Simulator. And this was way back in January, episode two of the current season. And that has proven to be correct. I took tons of heat. You're, you're blowing it out of proportion. You know, you're all, everyone who's saying that is a doomer and gloomer. We are still dealing with this issue. There was a podcast uh, that came out, actually it was Jay's Two Cents. Um, I forget the exact episode, but it's a recent one. Go back and, and look at it on YouTube. And he talked about, look, mining is still profitable. And there's some changes coming up where mining could be even more profitable than it is right now. Not as profitable, perhaps, as the peak. But there might be an ups upswing and profitability of mining in the short term. It has to do with the way China's structure. It, it, I don't even pretend to understand it. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm a tech uh, researcher. And um, so this issue is going to be around. We, we have cars appreciating in price mainly because of the scarcity and the price they have to pay 
for their semiconductors, their silicon to manufacture, uh, car manufacturers need to make their cars go. You know, lane de uh, warning detectors, cars that can parallel park themselves, um, cars that, that uh, have smart uh, um, cruise control. All of that is CPU driven. That's all computers in the car. And car prices are going up because of the scarcity of the sil of silicon. TVs are going up. Um, even uh, um, portable electronics, cell phones are going to go up. You're going to see an uptick in cell phone prices um, per performance level because of the scarcity of what's going on with semiconductors and silicon. And so it is um, the demand for silicon is heavy. And so I think you might see more availability of GPUs in the future, but they're still going to be at a very high price. They're not going to drop to MSRP levels anytime soon. So if you want to sim, um, building your own system still seems like the harder way to go. As, as, as much as I hate to say it, and I hate to say it, I'm looking at my beautiful system that I, that I built. It's all in uh, Tampa Bay lightning colors um, right now. The fans are blue and uh, the uh, tower fan and uh, the tower itself is, is white. I have the lightning symbol as my screen's um, background on my screen. And uh, so it's all blue and white. Um, it looks really cool. And um, look at pre-built systems. Do your research on which pre-built systems are, are good and which ones are bad. Uh, I always say that if, unless you can pick the individual parts, that's the ideal way to go. You're probably going to want to do a memory upgrade because it's only going to have a single channel and not dual channel. And with AMD, Radeon, especially if you want to utilize bar support, you know, you, you, you want to fill out all the DIMM slots, have four memory um, sticks in there to get the best optimum performance. Um, um, heart, um, Gamers Nexus talks about that uh, months ago uh, in regards to uh, AMD systems. Um, so uh, we talked about it in, in, in episode two, and I said that that reality was still going to exist. We're six months later. Everyone thought, uh, you know, we should have had stabilized pricing and stabilized availability when I made that episode in January. And they called me a, a doom and gloomer on the forums, all kinds of names. And I love it. <laughs> I love the stir of the pot. Um, episode uh, three um, is when we talked about, uh, got into specifics. It was one of my best shows. Um, and we talked about what PBR was in relation to um, uh, ray tracing. And PBR is a type of ray tracing. It is ray tracing. 
Um, and it is done in a different way. And in my opinion, it's done in a better way. I think the PBR in a flight simulator blows anything that, that's quote unquote ray tracing in standard um, AAA gaming out of the water. Um, and uh, um, so, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, that, that, uh, that's a great episode if you want to know what PBR is and um, you want to know what uh, relationship it has as, as far as ray tracing goes. That is in uh, episode three. Um, I also talked about earlier this season um, about 4K. And I got a lot of heat on the forums for that. Look, 4K is still taxing the current generation of GPUs beyond the point where it makes sense. And there was a video that was just released um, a week or so ago on um, Graphically Challenged. I believe the episode is, don't boy 4K, it'll ruin your life. <laughs> and uh, he talks about how, um, you know, when you have a 4K monitor, it not only affects the hardware that you have now, it's going to affect the hardware that you're going to buy in the future. And the other thing uh, I say to stay away from 4K is right now 1440p is very smooth on especially the higher end current hardware it's the the it's the it's the sweet spot uh for um for gaming and for simming it just is um and uh i think there's going to be video technology uh oled and others that it's going to explode i really think so i mean all uh, current hardware woes aside, and 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 you know, silicon shortages aside, taking that out of it, just looking at the the technology that's coming up in the future, I don't think you're going to want to buy a 4K monitor and and tax your hardware, um, because I think there's going to be a generational a generation leap in video technology as far as monitors go. And so get the 1440p monitors. They're reasonably priced. They're under $300. You can get them with FreeSync, FreeSync uh, Advanced. Um, you can get a, uh, you know, whether uh, stay away from a TN panel, go IPS, or I go AV. I think that that's uh, the best kind of panel you can get. You get your best blacks, you get your best uh, uh, contrast. It's a few colors less than an IPS, but it's still millions of colors. Um, and uh, it, it, you can get AV monitors now that are completely uh, um, RGB certified. I have 150% RGB rating or something like that. Um, you can get them Adobe rated and, and all of that kind of stuff. And um, 
they're going to run faster and they're going to give you crisper contrast than than IPS monitors. And then you're going to see, I think a year from now, two years from now, you're going to start seeing things that are going to blow 4K away and they're going to run smoother and they're going to run uh, tax your uh, video systems, uh, video GPUs less than the 4Ks. And so um, I, I really believe that that's, that's my hunch, but it's really a belief of mine. And uh, so I um, talked about 4K earlier this season, and that is still the case, believe me. Um, so we also talked about a uh, situation um, regarding a software company called CD Projekt Red and a game that they produced that was the highest anticipated game release in, in years called um, Cyberpunk 2077. And um, I talked about the conspiracy that that company was working with NVIDIA to come out with, to purposely come out with a game that did not run well on AMD and Radeon so that people would buy NVIDIA cards. This is a complete speculative theory. I don't have anything in, to base it in fact, other than just seeing, um, tying some technologies together, tying some stories together. This is my theory. It's complete speculation. Um, but there is a YouTuber. Uh, he's called Fredator Official. And uh, he talks about, quote, the gaming cyberpunk 2077 conspiracy. And there are other YouTubers that are talking about this. I don't want to say that we started it on this little podcast, but we sure as hell were talking about it long before anybody else was. And I told you that people were going to start because there are a lot of brilliant people out there. I'm by no means the, the, the sharpest knife in the drawer. And they were going to, they just weren't being exposed to things because they weren't looking at it. And because I built systems to run the simulators as best as I can, and because I was building a new system, and because this game release came out, and all of this kind of stuff came out, um, I tied the threads together and came, which led to, to this conspiracy theory. And because Cyberpunk did that, maybe they didn't realize that the, 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 the cause and effect of that was going to be that it was going to run awful on consoles. Because consoles, the new latest consoles, are AMD. Radeon systems. 
And if you make them run crappy on PCs that are AMD Radeon systems, they're going to run crappy on the consoles. And we even talked about how they ran it for an architecture that hasn't existed in years called Bulldozer. And uh, the fallout of that was um, unbelievable. The uh, profit margin of CD Projekt Red has dropped 65%. At the time of Cyberpunk 2077 being released, their stock on average converted in US dollars was about $35 a share. It's now hovering around $11 a share. That's more than half, folks. But nonetheless, the CEOs, um, Yet Awinski and co-CEO Adam Kaczynski, got $6.3 million raises. What CEO in any other industry would get a raise in the millions if your company's profit share dropped 65% and your stock is less than half of what it was? There's something going on with CD Projekt Red. They're being subsidized in some way or another by Intel and NVIDIA or one or the other or both. My opinion, it's both. And so that's where, stand, that's where CD Projekt Red stands right now. Um, and you're starting to see YouTubers putting the threads together, putting the facts together, and they're coming out with, hey, this looks like it was organized. Remember I said that's what it's going to, that's the conclusion that they were going to come to? And we speculated on that about uh, three, to, to, three to five months ago, and it is coming to pass. I said it would come to pass, and it is coming to pass. And so... Um, that is the update on Project Red. Um, a tweet came out from uh, Hardware Unboxed that they have come to the conclusion that current NVIDIA cards, 33,000 generation, um, is... Increasing the power draw of the CPU from 20 to 50 watts. Their overhead testing is proving that the power draw is higher than what people anticipated. People are having to go out even with 750 and 850 watt power supplies and it 
the the you know the 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 websites that that show you what's compatible and stuff say that those wattage power supplies should be fine and they buy those power supplies and they're they're going out and have to buy 1000 watt power supplies that are getting black screened and everything else these are horrible the more i'm learning about these gpus the more i'm realizing that these are horrible gpus and all the tech tubers out there that are still pushing these gpus now all of a sudden you see them all being water cooled when's the last time you saw a whole fleet of gpus being water cooled water cooled used to be a niche market you only had to do it if you were doing severe overclocking you did not need an overhead uh, 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 a water block gpu or a gpu that's cooled by uh, um, by liquid cooling and so um it, it's it's just ridiculous and i don't know why the tech tubers are not telling it like it is they're just going out and getting all water cooled gpus but they can because they're sponsored but somebody that's buying gpus can't decide that they're going to so tech tubers and youtubers that get sponsored water cooled gpus that's that's all great but uh I don't know anyone that has a water-cooled GPU. Uh, I know a lot of people that have computers and high-end computers. I've, I've never seen one up close, to be honest with you. Um, usually, they're installed in computers that have custom water-cooled solutions. Um, very difficult to build. Um, has a high learning curve, even for experienced builders, and are often quite expensive. And you have to worry about leaks and and different things like that and and you know um i think a computer built for flight simulator you want something that's simple that's reliable and it's going to push the sim and uh i just don't think in the end um the performance uh is worth it from the uh um 3080s and the the 30 you know um 3080ti's and uh, I just don't think that that's worth uh, getting that card and then trying to figure out to have a water-cooled solution or um, dealing with the possible VRAM issues, which I think are going to be very prevalent in a uh, uh, simulator environment, especially Microsoft Flight Simulator. So that is the show. Um, that is our podcast uh, up to up to date. We uh, in review. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you, uh, for all your new listeners, I hope that uh, the references I gave made it easier to go back into the podcast archives and, and maybe uh, hit upon some subject matters uh, that you might have missed if you just uh, joined the, the, our little community here. And uh, we're going to have an exciting show uh, coming up very soon. It's, uh, it's going to get into a lot of content, uh, a Microsoft Flight Simulator, a lot of the, the airplanes that have been released and airports that have been released. I've gotten some extra content. You guys know about my Seneca 5. I want to tell you about the Seneca 5 flights I've been having with um, the uh, Thrustmaster um, 
flight stick and uh, um, we'll go over some of the airports and stuff that I've uh, that I've purchased they're just little airports I didn't spend a lot of money on stuff but I have bought a few and uh, I'm gonna go and uh, look at a lot of reviews on uh, different uh, um, extra content and and give you my thoughts on that and uh, we'll kind of get up to date in the sim and I think it's gonna be a really good episode so hopefully you won't want to miss that one and uh, the episode after that we're gonna have our flight sim adventure I'm still working on it and uh, it should be um, uh, we got a lot of fun stuff that's coming up um, I got a lot of things uh, in the works and and uh, I think it's gonna be um, really cool so I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to this uh, broadcast and uh, I hope everybody's up to date on uh, some of the key subject matters that we talked about uh, in the history of this podcast. And uh, there's more to come in the future. So um, take care of yourself, take care of others, and uh, wheels up soon. I'll see you guys soon. Bye.